0: Welcome to the inaugural edition of the Marketing Science Podcast, a series of podcasts for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe via ACAST, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you usually get your podcasts. My name is Frank Barker. I am the head of marketing at Azo Network, and my guest today is Paul McCabe, CEO of the McCabe Group specializing in strategic marketing and program execution that goes well beyond traditional channels. Good morning, Paul, from across the pond. How are you doing today?
1: Good morning, Frankie. I'm doing great, despite everything going on.
0: Thank you. Yes, brilliant. So we've had a bit, a few technical issues, and I believe you've been held up, and your office has been closed down. But apart from that, all good? All
1: good. Uh, the kids are home, everybody's safe, so we're, we're in good shape. Thank you.
0: Superb. All right, let's jump straight in. Now, one one of the questions that we ask uh, all guests who come on the show is, what is your greatest marketing challenge? So take it away, Paul.
1: <laughs> I have to laugh at that. If you asked me four months ago, Frankie, or any time over the last 25 or 30 years, I'd say the biggest challenge we've always faced is having our clients truly understand that marketing and subset advertising is an investment and not a line-item expense that can easily get cut Uh, from the overall operating budget so you know too many times companies will have no problem spending thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars on a piece of capital equipment and they rationalize it as being very necessary investment in the future of the company Uh, human capital hiring people with unique skills that the company feels will help them leap product competition that's that's a great investment too but when you bring up marketing and the inherent strategies to help grow the company well that too often is viewed as an expense so when things get tight You look to cut expenses. Uh, And that was, it still remains to be one of the greatest challenges we face having clients and prospects understand and believe that marketing is an investment in the future of the company and it's an ongoing journey. It's it's not a final destination. It's just as critical as that new piece of equipment that's going to provide an anticipated ROI, Uh, human capital, similar. Uh, And we're also facing challenges as to having to furlough or dismiss employees because of a lack of sales in this current environment. So, if you ask me today what the greatest marketing challenges is, I would place that investment versus expense discussion just one peg down from where we face now, which is the challenge in how we realign past marketing strategies, even those as current as 2019, to effectively work within the current recession and the COVID environment. That's what I think.
0: Okay. Excellent. Uh, well, t- typically, whenever we've worked with clients, we can... Uh, lots of the sort of marketing challenges that they have, sort of the more common ones. We see brand awareness coming up. We see lead generation. We see what's overall strategy um, as well as um, resources often coming up. Is that the same case with with you and and your sort of client base?
1: Yeah, it it is. It it follows suit with what's tried and true and and proven. But the challenge is keeping that brand awareness and top of mind of your customers and prospects and by pulling back on your your marketing strategies and your advertising, you're, you're going dark and it's kind of a cascading effect. Well, you go dark and your sales are off because of what's going on right now. So you have to let go of some people. Whereas if you kind of try and strike a balance and retain the people, maybe at a lesser salary of some sort or something allowing you to keep a marketing strategy going, when the economy bounces back, and this was proven in that article I talked about earlier, that this has been proven to show that if those people that stay the course in some fashion and maintain a presence bounce back twice as fast as those who have to start all over again to reach their customers.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, how long have you been, uh, you've been working in marketing, Paul?
1: Oh, 35 years. <laughs> 35. I started when I was three.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, So we've um, next question is is saying how has strategic marketing evolved over the last 25 years? But let's go for 35.
1: (laughs) You know, Frank, it's gone through so many iterations to really succinctly answer that question. You know, in the U.S., for example, print and PR were the main drivers back in the 90s. And for print using what we refer to as bingo cards. I don't know if you have that over the pond, but this was a stitched in card in the back of the magazine where you would circle the advertisers that you wanted more information uh, on. And you would get that out probably three to four weeks later, the advertiser would send you some brochures or something along those lines, and you forgot who they were and why you did it in the first place. Um, then came impressions, which was nothing more than false bad, at least in my mind, that you, your content was generating hundreds of impressions. When in reality, if there were examples 30 banners or photos or uh, different types of advertising on a single page, impressions would count as if all 30 were being used and you get 30 impressions instead of your one impression, which is down in the bottom left corner. So it was misleading back then. and It was the new metric at the time because people were always clamoring. Listen, I got to tell my boss why what we're spending is making sense. What's my ROI? How do I justify advertising? And as you know, Advertising is a tough animal to capture and, and justify as far as, well, you spent this. Is this what you got back? Because there's so many variables. So we keep trying or have tried over the years to make it more and more visual to show that, yes, this is working and this is why. And these are the metrics for it. Then came the advent of the web and, and digital marketing. And at first it was nothing more than just, you know, putting Stuff online like your, your ads, your reposts of tech sheets, brochures. It was really nothing there. Maybe some photos of the management team. But that morphed into a more sophisticated uh, content, especially when companies caught on as to how websites worked and how best to use, you know, the various marketing tools like photos, banners, videos, links to other avenues of marketing, data sheets, you know, technical materials, graphics and PR, those kind of things. So you fast forward to now the sophistication required to be able to maximize the true effectiveness of reaching your target audiences and your prospects and suspects and we have channels such as data analytics you know clicks to your website Uh, and then knowing for example which sub pages were viewed how long and if any further action was taken you know think google analytics so the advent of e-news e-blast the things you're running we're running now banners buttons video content photos An equally important, salient text to describe what you do and, more importantly, why you do it. These are all effective tactics that are just the extension of a sound marketing strategy over the last 35 years till now.
0: Now, I can't speak to 35 years. uh, Try eight. Um, But even over that relatively short period of time, the rate of change is phenomenal. The amount you have to learn just to stay up to date and current is so vast. Uh, we were talking about Salesforce just before and what a game changer such a powerful piece of software can be. Uh, people think it's just you know a CRM, but it can be so much more when you get it you know, working as intended with all the automated processes and workfl- workflows in between sales and marketing, um, even finance operations and, and more can, can get involved. But Paul, can you tell us about any big projects where you've used software to increase efficiency within an organization?
1: We just did a project uh, about three months ago, and uh, it was – well, going backward from that, uh, about uh, six months ago, we created this global, quote, management system for one of our clients, and we did it in four different languages. Uh, Because uh, of their global presence, they wanted to systematically try and uh, streamline it so that everybody had access to this ability to quote uh, uniformly. Then they also had another platform, Salesforce. This is the new project that we're in the middle of right now where they wanted to integrate their Salesforce tools with this global management tool. And that's what we're doing right now. And it's just another way of adding to the ability to have central resources, if you will, living on a cloud with accessibility so that people can do this. And it shows things beyond just data, it's graphics, it's other things that give you quick glances at where you stand in, the, uh, in your various markets and, and
0: functionality that way indeed yeah uh, the um and these einstein analytics plugins and it's, it's great visual representation of data oh yeah. and answering questions that you well answer <laughs> providing answers to questions that you hadn't even thought of yet it's it's fantastic um just to ta- take a slightly different tack now um about leadership um but specifically currently within a recession how does senior leadership view marketing during a recession, such as the one that we appear to be entering?
1: (laughs) Yes, I got to laugh again. That really depends on the senior leadership. You know, as history dictates over the last three recessions, manufacturing and industrial companies tend to cut the marketing budgets early on, which shows just how much they don't understand the value of marketing and advertising when the economy gets soft. So it's very understandable, and it's a knee-jerk reaction uh, fueled by the pressure to maintain or grow sales and not just have to lay off people. So at a time when customers are cutting back uh, you know, and delaying orders until sales pick up on their end, it makes sense on a human level that when managers have to decide you know, between letting employees go because of the economy or losing soft costs in marketing instead. So it's a very tough decision, and, and you know, in many cases, probably a correct decision in the short run. But in the longer view, it can work against the company by alienating your target audiences as to who you are and what you do. So it's always been an easy target to cut marketing budgets because, quite honestly, many companies just don't grasp the importance of marketing as a critical tool uh, in helping them communicate with their varied audiences, especially when budget cuts are necessary in a tight market like we, we have right now. So in my experience, we try and counsel our clients to strike a balance between the two so that when the economy turns around, They're better positioned to gain sales against, you know, those competitors who go dark in the media, and by doing so, they're able to actually rehire or even add new hires to the workforce. So today, there's a much better understanding of strategic marketing, especially with the growth of various search engines, and you couple that with the fact that most people use the internet to either start the understanding of a buying process or to uh, look for more information on a product or service. So. You know, there's an old adage, Frankie, it's proven over time, it rings true today, awareness leads to preference, and preference leads to sales. And it all starts, obviously, with awareness. So how companies generate that awareness and maintain a presence is the key to me, especially now with this recession mode environment like we have today. So senior leadership has got to view it with a an eye toward, well, I don't want to fire a guy with a family of four because we have to cut back. So I'm going to cut the budgets is going to help us to communicate to our target audiences how we do things. There's got to be a balance, especially in times like this, as opposed to one versus the other.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, Um, especially as, well, more people are sat at home, more people are sat with the internet. So I'd say that page views and uh, engagement will will actually if anything increase it's not as if our our buyers or potential suspects and prospects are you know just set on their hands they're they're not you know the buying journey and the buying process will continue over the next you know three to six to twelve months in fact the people will be educating themselves even more nowadays and that ties in with what you're saying but um so next question would be how would you view the online customer experience in 2020
1: <laughs> you know, that, that's an interesting question. I would say today's customer experience ranges anywhere from staying focused and continuing to learn, like you just said, and gather information that's critical to their business, or they're bored and just surfing the internet for something to take their minds off of what's happening right now. Um, you know, there's, there's a big jump in Facebook right now, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagrams, and all those various vehicles as people try and post, at least around here, educational or thought-provoking tomes as the uh, hey we're all in this together so that mindset makes most people feel like just a little bit better which is a good thing right now so you're seeing a lot of you know casual uh posts to help people you know feel good about what's going on as best they can you know with so many people working remotely now and still trying to work effectively to you know buy and sell products and services you know it's kind of easy to sit in your sweatpants and t-shirt Hey, knowing no one's looking over your shoulder for a more work-productive use of your online tools. So unless you're on a video conference call like Zoom or GoToMeeting or one of those where everyone can be seen and heard, I I think there is and will continue to be a disruption in work quality and efficiency. You know, you had close quarters in your home, your family, yeah, kids looking for your attention, uh, loose work hours, the attention and focus you had prior to this pandemic and the recession, it's certainly diminished. And yeah, I think there will be folks out there saying, well, how much more productive they are, more relaxed and more focused. But, you know, in my opinion, I think they're kind of kidding themselves a little bit. And they're working basically in a vacuum without the benefit of a live co-worker collaboration, which can be a real challenge. But, you know, but honestly, if it becomes the new normal where companies downsize their office footprint in, in favor of, for example, cost savings and employees working from their home, then we will need a, to create a new approach to customer relationships and customer experiences. You know, companies will have to take into account the working environment, quote, unquote, and how effectively to reach out to their customers and prospects, you know, in a meaningful way. And, and a part of that process we rely more heavily on digital marketing as the communications of choice, because that will most assuredly, in my mind, be the internet and maybe a few extra client lunch meetings just to get
0: out of the house. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> Um, Okay, so working in science and engineering, um, how do you get sort of the vast amounts of technical data, um, technical content into a consumable, engaging format?
1: That's an easy answer, at least for me. It's the internet, webinars, podcasts, Zoom-type conferences, where you can share screens with technical data uh, and the like. You know, we're all visual-minded by nature, and we kind of seem to retain more of what we see than what we hear or even read. Um, it's created a cottage industry of a proliferation of the fact that we're still printing out stuff instead of saying, well, now you have the internet, you don't have to print things out. Well, we feel like we have to print something out we just read because we've got to remember it. Um, and digital content, we're saving massive files on the cloud uh, so we don't forget what we what was said or what was verbalized. So now this podcast is a great example of how this mode of communications can be very meaningful, hopefully, and on target with the listener, but unless it's coupled with graphics or they're taking notes, you know, sorry to say that most of what we discussed today is being virtual or vital or critical. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of going to be forgotten in a few weeks. It's just, you know, the way we are. It's the way we're, we're wired.
0: Yes, there's famous research that people have retention rates of about 10% of what they read, around 20 to 30% of what they see and hear, and anywhere upwards of 50% retention comes from when people actively engage, discuss, and even teach someone else,
1: we're a visual species. That's there's no two ways about it. And you know, if you look at the way we even look at phones and Instagram chat, all these different things, visuals is what we remember. It's easy to remember how we do that in today's environment. You know how we do that to help you know strategic marketing and, and how we go about our business is changing and has been changing over the years. And we've been adapting as you have, I'm sure to how to present information. Uh, The internet's a great spot, everybody knows it. It can be five years old or 55 years old, everybody kind of gets it. Um, So how we use it and how we make the best use out of it to reach customers and prospects from a a manufacturer standpoint of view, that's critical. And that's an important part of what we do.
0: Uh, You mentioned cloud computing before. I'm sure we've all been there or even know someone who has had the email from the finance director Uh, asking you to prove this invoice or follow this link. Uh, In fact, one of my close school friends who shall remain nameless, fell into this very trap where it ended up costing a shed load of money and time to sort and remove all of the malware that was downloaded when they clicked that link. Um, You're thinking, uh, at least they didn't manage to rob a load of cash, but it does highlight a massive issue with security. So how important, Paul, is cybersecurity in the current working environment?
1: Well, yeah. Well, first back up, if you, cloud, compute, cloud computing is nothing more than huge stat, uh, data being stored somewhere and, and sharing information on a larger scale with CRMs and, and the like. Unfortunately, cybersecurity has become a very necessary tool, and it's here to stay because uh, there's the black cats. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I'm sure most people are. They're the, black cats whose sole mission is to disrupt online portals and sensitive corporate information. And then there's the White Hats, who are t- constantly trying to plug up security on a daily basis. Um, so the Black Hats will t- do things like you just described, Well, you'll try and hold a co- company at ransom by threatening to erase files or disrupt their servers, that kind of thing. I have a funny story as well. Uh, my And this is out of my sweet spot as far as information. Uh, my IT group does all of this, and they're much more versed than I am, obviously, but they tell stories about conventions that the white hats and the black hats actually go to together and they share stories and they swap stories. And it's kind of like job security. The black cats will show what they're doing and the white hats will show how they're correcting it. And they just keep going. So it's a built in cottage industry. Um, but, you know, on a personal level, what happens is uh, most of us have pretty much basic cybersecurity tools in our office desktops and maybe some in our own our iPads and iPhones at home. But, some of that will contain corporate information that's sensitive and it's easy to see how prolific the problem really can become. You know, there are a lot of companies out there that do a fair job of protecting companies from cyber attacks. And I'll plug myself as ours included, but the reality is that every company, large or small, they need to assess their open platform exposure and get on board with apps and systems that will help keep their security safe up-to-date and effective. And that's really what it comes to, and it's not going to stop. It's going to always happen. Heck, I think I've got more blocks than you can handle, but you're right. If you don't look at the URL string to see where it's coming from, you can get easily swayed into clicking on something that invites all kinds of malware.
0: Yeah, indeed. So we, we I mean, we always recommend like single sign-on uh, services so that everyone can access the, the apps that they need. They can work from any device um, that they need, as long as they've got two-factor authentication.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's something new that drives me nuts, but it's very much needed. Every time I go in with this two-factor authentication, authentication, I got to make sure I have my phone handy, and it's just it's more work, but it's a necessary evil again.
0: I think everyone can relate to that two-factor frustration. Um, but staying on the theme of remote working, how do you see remote working affecting the future of the workplace?
1: Well, yeah, that kind of depends. You know, if it's here to stay, then I think we need to retool how we think about employees you know, in effective work environments, communications, and, you know, a host of other issues. Right now, it seems to me we're scrambling with the remote working model being forced upon us. It's not something we all say, hey, let's all do this. But if it wasn't required, would we automatically go back to what we know? You know, the easy answer is to go with what you know and what you've been successful at in the pre-remote working environment. You know, but now this remote model has been with us for, what, a couple of months now? So we've learned to adapt to it, which doesn't necessarily translate into liking it or how we're actually feeling about it. Now, I, for me, I would venture a guess, and it's just a guess, that most people working from home that were formerly working in a structured work environment, they're getting antsy. They're kind of frustrated with trying to create a routine that works, you know, to adapt to dealing with external issues such as small working spaces, like you know, these less productive home computers not being tied in necessarily to the company. Sometimes you got to share a den with your dog, your kids, your spouse, and other distractions. You know, single people working remotely, you know, I think they would prefer group settings, even though many millennials are totally okay with their phones and texting. They seem to be better at adapting to this new environment than many people, say, north of what, 35, 40? But it's it's funny, as a sidebar, and, and to throw a curve into this discussion, we have a virtual agency model, have been since 2007 as a precursor to the last recession, So we have people working all over the world with us and they work remotely, many from their homes. And and that's the norm for them. So it does work, but that's in a certain uh, vertical. Um, So I guess it depends on the nature of the work and the need for personal collaboration. That's the real question to ask.
0: Yeah, we have a similar situation with a split of global employees who were already working from home and others who are office-based, maybe working from home one day a week, but now forced to work five days a week from home. But you've, like you say, been working from home for a long time now. Uh, so what's your release? How do you go about structuring your day?
1: I think the, the biggest challenge of working at home, especially for those that don't do it, as I said, many of my people work remotely and they do it fine because that's they're used to that. But if you're asking people to do it have not done it before and rely on that that face-to-face meeting, you have to set up a structured schedule. Even if you have to create a whiteboard that says from 8 to 9, I'm doing this, from 9 to 10, I'm doing that, just until you get comfortable with the process. You have to have rules of engagement for those who aren't, uh, aren't single and, and have families. Hey, dad's in this office, and don't come by. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. You know This is dad time. I have to do this. Or mom time, uh, what she has mm-hmm. to do in her working environment. Um, so, you have to say, okay, I'm going to structure this time for lunch with the family or this time for doing something. But it is a structure that's very important that you have to create, in my opinion, to be able to make this work effectively. I'm not saying wear a suit while you're sitting at your computer. You, know, you can wear pajamas for all I care, but as long as your mind is still functioning and working to do what you're supposed to be doing, I think that's, that's the way to go about it.
0: Yeah, for me, I'm being a lot more productive with my free time cycling, musical instruments. I've even started playing guitar again started learning the piano um and i'm busting out the power tools at the weekend doing a bit of woodwork um but i find it's a great excuse to pick up an old hobby or something you've always said that you would do but you've never quite had more time
1: well i think you know to, to cut into you i mean you do need a diversion because you're not going to be able to work i don't think seven eight hours at home doing what you kind of did in the office there are going to be Natural distractions, you look outside and I back up to a wildlife preserve. So i got great views. It kind of takes your mind over for a second. But you do in this this recession slash COVID-19 situation, you do need to have distractions that help you to kind of ground yourself. Um, So you bike riding or playing guitar, that's great. Uh, I've taken up to cooking more, being more creative because it's fun to do and I like to eat. (laughs) um but all the physical things i'm very much active in sports and unfortunately the sports i'm active in uh they're closed down and the places where i would use a, a tennis court or a golf course or some of those places uh we do have walking paths and things that we can still have access to but a lot of them we don't so choosing how best to balance like that balance i said before uh on other things to balance Working at home and being sane uh, is is important to be able to yeah. see what other things you can do to take your mind off of the fact that this is very stressful right now.
0: So has has Strava taken off over the over in the states? It, everyone seems to be on Strava right now, uh, posting their runs, all of their runs time. Everyone's running five k.
1: Is that a thing? In the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I love it. Everybody's sharing themselves wants to make sure the world knows that they're busy and they're doing things. I'm, I'm not versed that way. I posted a couple of funny Facebook pictures of me trying to cut my hair since it's been nine weeks. And, uh, you know, just something light. And, you know, so everybody in their own way does things to just take the mind off things and putting up Facebooks or Instagrams or pictures or stories or things like that or grab these things from other people. That seems to be a, a good way to kind of
0: break the pressure. Yeah. People just trying to be part of the community and trying to get some sense of normality
1: again. And you know what? Um, in a positive note, we, we instead of talking down so much in a positive note, we're learning a lot more to be more community minded We're learning more about giving back to the community, especially those people who um are, are, are challenged right now I mean we have and uh, we have certain you know played race restaurants we used to go to, and you know all these waiters and waitresses are out of work right now um yeah. We we have people and and I'm not trying to be up at your something. We have people that clean our house once a month. Well, we we're paying them even though they're not coming to our house because it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, supporting your restaurants by buying you know gift certificates for future food so they have the cash flow now. And then there's charities, there's food banks, all these different things. I think as a community we're growing closer together because we're becoming more aware of it because we're online more. And that's pretty much how it follows through.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. There, it's it's important to look after the small businesses. We, we're doing the same with community businesses. There's a um, a caterer that we that we get at the rugby club, and they're offering us um, sort of bulk buying of pies, which I've just had one for lunch. Still paying my gym membership to a small small business gym that, that I go to quite a bit. Um, it's important that you know we do keep the economy going. And I suppose to, to that end it's we, we're well, we've been told that we're staying until early May, I think May seventh or May, May 11th maybe. Are you guys back to work soon or at, at least it
1: depends on right now they're going state by state, but it depends on who you talk to. I mean, for example, uh, in our states, a couple of states nearby here, New Jersey and, and New York, they're opening up, I think some golf courses in some places and hair salons. I mean some I mean some interesting companies are opening to say, well, this is the next step. But um, it's it's going to be slow. They're saying May 15th at the earliest. Um, but then you get into the whole argument. And I feel bad for, you know, how you know, our politicians are working because you're, you're, you're in a no win situation. If you open up the economy because it needs to and the curve, instead of being flattened spikes, which it probably will, then you look like a bad person for saying, what the heck did you do? You open this up and boy, now we have it twice as much as we did before. Mm-hmm. If you don't open it up. And, you know, you have the economy going down south and people are out of work and, and either way, you don't win. It's a tough one to choose. So how you bleed it out is going to be important um, and and how they do those things is going to be a challenge for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All the knock on effects of of having a, a closed off economy where where no nothing's no one's spending money. So that will have unemployment. And, you know, all the knock-on effects that come with that, which is... Uh, well, that,
1: it is. And you've got a couple of bounce effects. Simple example. they closed my office. Um, well, it they was partially closed before, and, and it's it's like a ghost town. Every month that we're out of the office, we're still paying rent. Well, is that fair? Well, feel look at it from the other side. The guy's got to collect the rent. They've got to pay for the building. So, you know, you're, you're in a situation where you're, you're doing things that, that cost money that you're not getting the effect of it because you're not allowed, and each month that goes on, things happen. And then all of a sudden, what, what are the airlines? That, um, several airlines are now threatening to maybe have to go under because they're, you know, they're reaching a point where they can't do things. Look at the gym. You have a gym. We have gyms around here that are closed. And they rely mm-hmm. on that income to, to survive. So the longer it goes, this is kind of a backward way of answering that question. The longer it goes on and you don't open up the economy, the more businesses are going to fail. And the more businesses are going to fail means less. T- they're not going to come back stronger they're not going to come back at all and so now you have an- another problem 16 million is unemployed right now in our country was 6 million was just last week that's just going to you know keep going and then <laughs> add the I feel bad for my kids i mean right now we're just we're, we're putting trillions of dollars out of, of money to help people uh we have this you know all these protection programs and everybody's vying for it and all it just puts the country more and more in debt we're Trillions and trillions of dollars in debt, as I'm sure you are over there. So who's going to pay for that? (laughs) It's got to get paid somehow. So moving forward, you're just hurting your children, basically.
0: Yeah, I can see an extended retirement age coming on (laughs) global.
1: Yeah, 104. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So how long do you think it'll take before things return to normality? Air quotes, that is for.
1: Yes, air quote is right, because there is no normal anymore. Uh, You know, we've entered into a new normal. And I don't have a crystal ball, but I believe personally that we are in for an extended period of major adjustments in how we work, you know, how we communicate, how we socialize in the office and outside of it. And if this, end quote, experiment that's been forced upon us is seen as a plus with more people being productive from working remotely, then I believe that may be the new business model that will have many, many companies downsizing. You know, they're going to take their workplace and say, geez, I don't need Forty thousand square feet of office space. I can go down to ten thousand and just have a couple of executive offices, a kitchen, and some conference rooms. Look at all the money I just saved in real estate. I'll just have everybody work at home. And that's a very viable model but the poor people who own the real estate going, Oh my God, I'm losing my you know, I'm losing my money hand over fist because people are downsizing. So there's always gonna be for every action, there's gonna be a reaction and it's gonna happen accordingly. But uh, the shorter answer is I don't believe we'll ever return to normal. You know, instead, I think we're going to morph into a new normal. And that's, you know, for better or worse, just time will tell on that.
0: Okay. So, just, and just to round it off, what do you think the next five years uh, look like with for marketing for technical B2B companies?
1: <laughs> yeah, again, I, I'm not a kind of a crystal ball, and I'm certainly not an economist uh, with my pulse on the economic environment. You know, though I did write that article on the upcoming economic correction slash recession last fall. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. now reality, and it's been compounded with you know, COVID-19. So if, if from a market's perspective, more so than an, uh, an article full of metrics, I think um, I, uh, it's, it's with, with everything going on, I think we're going to enter into an elongated post-COVID-19 period where the massive unemployment, the social distancing, You know, the lack of orders that require fossil fuels. I mean, look what's happening to oil. It's a negative number, at least yesterday was. You know, all these manufacturing mutual will not only have to, you know, ride out the pandemic wave, uh, you know, the economic challenge has been reality. They'll have to take several years, again, in my opinion, to not only catch up, but actually thrive. You know, keeping your top of brand name out there is critical. And you can't do that if you just cut everything you do to do that. Yeah, your website will stay up and you pay them yearly fee but keeping it going and keeping it thriving and keeping it relevant is is going to be critical and all the digital things that come with it like your book and your your place over there where you're you know we do e-blast we do you know a lot of things with you that are very successful and get us a lot of people a lot of eyeballs looking and that's what we want especially where if you do something that's more costly and you know can't you can't measure the return on print unfortunately so uh that's why i think uh, there are a lot of tools out there in the digital world that are very helpful and i think it's going to make a big difference
0: excellent all right thank you for your insight uh and your time um and, and your knowledge and experience thanks frankie well that just about wraps up our first episode a big thank you to paul for sharing his insight and a big thank you to you the listeners for tuning in If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, or at azonetwork.com, or wherever you usually listen to your podcasts. My guest next week is Mr. Randy Byrne, CEO of Transformational Scientific Marketing, and we're going to talk about marketing scientific equipment and analytical instrumentation. We'll see you next week.